Hey guys, TK here. Just a big, big shout out to my brand new sponsor, Bulk Nutrients. Bulk Nutrients I've been using for my supplement needs for about six years' times. In terms of quality, price, customer service, they're an Australian company. They are second to none. The products I'm using at the moment is the green superfood powder, which you can pick up for only $25 for 250 grams. The protein matrix, which is only $29 for one kilo. And they've got some fabulous flavors in terms of chocolate, vanilla, salted caramel, this chalk honeycomb, which tastes like a gay time ice cream if you're in Australia. Also, this awesome, awesome rocky road that I've been having lately. Apart from that, also get the creatine monohydrate, which is as low as $9 for 250 grams or $19 for one kilogram. So check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. That's www.bulknutrients.com.au slash TK. Guys, welcome back to Talking With TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell, episode 83 of the podcast. And we've got an absolute legend of NRL and the Sydney Roosters in none other than Rico, Luke Rickardson. Luke was just one of the, the great players of you know the late 90s and the 2000s. An absolute legend for the Roosters, second in the all-time for games played behind his great mate, Minnie, Anthony Minicello. But his record speaks for itself. He played 10 State of Origins, 6 games for Australia, also featured in four NRL Grand Finals, winning one Grand Final during the golden period for the Sydney Roosters, really did help to really set their set their culture, especially under the likes of Graham Murray and Ricky Stewart. And you know he's one of the just absolute living legends. Still involved with the club, he's on the actual board today, so still has his say. And you know that culture that he did bring in those those nineties and two thousands. He continues to push on to today's players. So really happy to get Rico on the show, one of my favorite players from that period of time. But we have plenty of stories from all the grand finals, the rep games, from being born and just a little bit of background on his, his family and his, his old man, Doug Rickardson, who also played for the Roosters. So plenty to chat about, and I think it's something that you're really, really going to enjoy. Just a big thank you to everyone tuning in today, whether it's your first time here or you're a regular subscriber. Just remember, you can get the show plenty of ways. You could subscribe for free via iTunes. And if you do have an opportunity, if you could please leave me a review, really helps me just to be seen by more people and I can get all my stories to more and more people. So please subscribe and also rate via iTunes. If you're on Android, Lots of ways you can do it. Just download an app called either Stitcher or Overcast is also a very, very good one. Or you can catch it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. All the show notes, episode guides, player audio players, it's all on there. So like I said, check it out at www.talkingwithtk.com. I'd love to hear from you, so please connect with me. Easiest way is on social media. You can find me on Twitter or Facebook at Talking With TK. My personal page is Tristan Cannell, spelt K-apostrophe-N-E-L-L. you also find me on Instagram, at Tristan Nell, or you can just send me a quick email. I'd love to hear from you. I have a bit of a yarn 
Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Who do you want to see next on the show? It's going to be a bit of an NRL month this coming up month. Next week, it's Adrian Morley, as well as guys like Kurt Gibley and Clint Newton have also recorded. So plenty in there, but love to hear from you guys. Just tell me exactly who you want, and I'll try my best to get them on. Big shout out to our sponsors, Bulk Nutrients. Yeah, my go-to for my supplements. So check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. I'll never recommend something I don't use myself. Been using these guys for about six years. They're an Aussie company. What I really love them is the value for money, the quality of the product, and also the ease of delivery. You literally order, for example, on a Monday, you'll be either at your office or your home by the Wednesday. Some really great delivery. In terms of pricing, they're just second to none. The stuff that I'm using, I've got a whole range of different proteins that I use. At the moment, I'm currently using their Protein Matrix, which is very affordable at $29 for one kilogram. It's a powder that reduces bloating and is also very easy to digest. A whole heap of flavors such as chocolate, vanilla, salted caramel, choc honeycomb, which is one of my favorites, and also the Rocky Road. If you're more into your normal protein, they've also got your whey protein concentrate, which is $27 for one for one kilogram. And they've got a whole different range of flavors in that as well. Your WPI, your whey protein isolate, is only $36 for one kilogram. So it's a huge saving from what you'll find in the supermarkets and also your supplement shops. So definitely do check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. Highly recommend also getting the green fusion into your diet, especially if you don't eat enough veggies. You can get it in raw or flavored. It's a green superfood powder. It's pretty cheap too. 250 gram, only two, it's only 25 bucks. So I definitely stock up on that. I usually get the one kilogram, which you can get for 79 bucks. So give that a try. Like I said, it's a green superfood powder. If you're not eating enough greens, it's something that I do recommend you either have in the morning in some water or I like to chuck it in my protein smoothie just before I hit the gym. So check out the range www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. All right, guys, let's get to today's show. I introduce Luke Rickardson. All right, guys, my special guest is Luke Rickardson. Luke is a legend of the Sydney Roosters. He's actually second all time. His great mate, Minnie, he's actually overtaken him, but he still played 301 first grade games, also played 10 State of Origins. He played six games for Australia, four grand finals, and I also, also saw he played for Ireland. Uh, welcome to the podcast, <laughs> I did. Rico. Thanks, Christian. Good on you, mate. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start a little bit, because we're in GSA offices this morning. Yep. You retired actually pretty early. You were about 32 when you retired. So you obviously saw that you needed to think of life after footy. Talk to me a little bit about corporate life and how you've actually evolved in that area. Yeah, interesting one. I um, Back to probably the first question in retirement, I had, oh, I was playing football probably since the age of five years of age and um, I got graded quite early. So I was 17 and I sort of got graded into the Roosters and uh, was pretty lucky enough to sort of jump into first grade, so I had a very long-ish career through, yeah. um, you know, through those 90s and 2000s, and um, you know, probably for me, the way I played football was, you know, I wasn't blessed with um, amazing skill. It was more about work ethic and um, being, you know, obviously very fit and you know, defence and all those sort of things in my game. And 
you know, I, I, I got to 2005, um, and it was Ricky Stewart at the time. Ricky sort of said, "Look, you know, you you, you kind of you're just losing your edge a little bit. You know, you've just not." So he was that upfront with you. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I had a pretty tough conversation with Ricky in 2005, and he said, "Look, um, you know, I feel as though that you're just not at the peak of where you need to be, particularly mm. in the position I was playing." Um, you know, we're probably you need to look at a either retirement or maybe moving on. Um, and I couldn't see myself playing for another club within um, Australia. And I had a lot of options to go overseas. I was thinking, you know, do I jump over and do the Super League thing? And but then I, I you know, I, I, I kind of thought to myself it was probably time. It was probably time to just hang the boots up and look on uh, and and go and get in the workforce and try and work out what I want to do and. Stop one part of my life and start another, and um, I've done a, quite a few different things to the yeah. point where I am here at a, at a company called GSA Insurance Brokers, and I fell into insurance. I fell into this business with a guy called Paul Hines, who owns his business 100%. Yep. Um, took a lot of interest in me, and um, wanted to see exactly what I uh, wanted to do, not only as a job but as a career. Yep. Um, I was recently married, and just trying to work out, you know, at that sort of mid. 30s. I mean, it's still quite young. You know? Did it scare you? Terrifying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a really, it's a really difficult stage. And I think, um, you know, you'll talk to a lot of ex-footballers. Oh, sorry, sportsmen. You know, across yeah. all levels. You know, they, they, they go through a little stage. I think it's a bit of five-year buffer. It's a bit of five years of, you know, finishing something, and then you think, you're still the game might owe you something, or you've, you need to be involved for whatever reason, and. You need to hang around it. You need to spend more time with similar people within the game, and you're trying to do bits and pieces and grab a little bit of radio and grab a bit of whatever it needs to mm. to uh, keep you involved. But there's a time where you need to just potentially cut it if you're not going to do commentary, you're not going to do yeah. um, anything within the game, and, and, and go and source a career and, and work hard at it. Completely different sort of skill set and. And, 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 and to almost park it and get on with it and, and, and start again, start like actually start again, like actually from the beginning and, and, and go for it. But business development, for someone with so many good stories, particularly from sport, it's a very interesting industry to get into. Even though I didn't play rugby league, I've got a lot of stories from a lot of people that I interview yeah. and in a lot of the stuff that I do now, it does open a lot of doors for me. Do you find something very, very similar? Yeah, look, I... I came into this business um, and I was in the general broking team and I looked mm. after a book of business and I grew that um, and I think the business was pretty smart here by saying, Luke, you know, you sit down, um, I had to go and do a couple of courses, had to get yeah. my accreditation, I had to then um, do everything from processing, um, wasn't great getting around most of the systems we have in place here that was a bit so you tough. had to learn the dirty jobs before they absolutely. actually gave you a crack yeah. yeah absolutely and sort of you know do some long hours in in a chair and sit in front of a, a screen which i never did a lot of i mean our job was hanging out with a bunch of mates mm. getting fit and going to coffee and lunches and playing footy on a weekend and having fun so um you know that's almost it's changing your mindset you know coming in and doing that and being around um you know a mix of different personalities and people in the workforce and um, you know I think there's a lot of good things I learned out of sport which helps you in a team environment yeah. particularly with work but um, but yeah now I think in, the, in and now I'm shifted onto this business development role which 
Which is great. It's certainly, um, you know, rugby league has opened a lot of doors. Um, so what's the personal development side of things that you're doing? Um, so business development in yep. here, what I do. So, yep. um, so we're broad. So we look after so many different sort of clients. And, you know, I've got the ability to go and meet anyone and have a conversation around um, their business and, um, you know, get them to a point where we can have a conversation about the business and corporate insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a lot of really good brokers within our business and um, and just get to sort of understand what they do and um, and bring them to the table here and then build a relationship. And I think that's something that we work really good at is, yeah. you know, what we do in our business here, it's, 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 it's a real trust element to it and likability and... Um, you know, we sort of we, we sort of tend to do that quite well. And I think I've learned a lot of those skills through what I did at football. Yep. And, um, as you said, there's a lot of great stories, a lot of ups <laughs> and downs yeah, in what sure. I did. And, um, you know, I can tend to build relationships pretty well with people and um, and get them to sort of, you know, get on well. And, you know, that's a big, big part of business is actually doing business with people you like. And if, yeah, you're, if you're a likable sort of person, you, you can tend to be trusted. And, you know, I sort of, I do put my heart on my sleeve and... With any particular client I get in the door here, I, um, I'm quite passionate about and, you know, it's my reputation. You know, I don't want anything to go wrong with that particular client. Mm. Um, you know, I'm quite competitive with it. You know, I want to make sure that they're happy and we're happy and, yep. you know, things get on get on really well and um, it's been a success so far. How many years did it take you? Because as you described before, when you're playing footy, the Roosters will tell you, Luke, you've got to go to the gym at 7am, then you get breakfast. Then you've got a video session. So it's all kind of scripted out what you have to do. Then all of a sudden you come to the corporate world and you actually have to do that for yourself. That's not an easy transition at all. How long did that kind of take for you to kind of do that? It's probably, probably, it's probably still there, a bit of that. You know, I think, um, you know, I still feel as though in my corporate world, I love meetings and having a conversation about particular yeah. clients and things. I like talking it out. Um, I like getting feedback. Oh, yeah, that's I think the big thing with talking to a lot of guys. It's all about um, you want to get to the back end of the week and know that a you've done a good job or mm. there's things you can improve on, and you know you, you, you're more than happy to have that tough com- conversation with a work colleague. You know, I'd rather a manager say, "Look, you know, look, mate, I need you to do more of this," and you know, basically pushed you around a little bit more. So those video sessions and Ricky Stewart's having a crack at you, they actually came in because. Some people aren't used to getting that feedback and being told that they do need to improve in different areas, but you've already seen that on the footage field nearly on a weekly basis. There's nowhere to hide in the video room, is there? No, and it's an honesty thing, and I think what you tend to do in that sort of sporting in Marina is um, you need to be brutally honest, and, and that's what happens mm. so much. And I sort of get in the corporate world, and I, you, know, you sort of do shake your head because you think, oh, you know, there's probably not enough honesty around the workforce and yeah. um, when someone does get a little bit of a kick up the butt, um, generally what happens is what you respond. You respond pretty well, you know. You actually like getting a bit more um, uh, feedback. and um, So it's funny, it's, it's, it's a different environment, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm different sort of, environment. I, am, I am used to that style. Yeah, Luke, take me back to the start because you were actually born in Foster, right? Yeah, my, my father. My father actually played for the Roosters back in the 60s. He yeah. played the 1960s grand final uh, against uh, the Great Dragons. Did he mark one of the... Did he mark Reg? Reg Gaznia, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so he had um, some long battles with some fantastic players, and obviously the Dragons went on to win 11 grand finals in that space. And um, 
you know, it was uh, it was a different game back then. Yeah, yeah. Dad was you know Bondi local, um, and you played for your district. And the Roosters back then was obviously his team. And and then there was a point where the country rugby league was a very popular thing for um, yeah, like ex-footballers to go and play. Yeah. And they got paid. There's a lot of captain coach mm. um, jobs available. Um, you know, you get a pretty good income. Yeah. You get an ability to go and you know travel to a country town and and, and run that, which the country like rugby league was pretty strong. So, how'd uh, your mum find doing that? Was she yeah, cool she was it? she was okay with it. I think you know obviously she was she grew up in Paddington, so yeah. she was a Paddington girl, and and um, and sort of went on the trail with dad. I mean there was um, there was two teams that dad played for. It was one was Tamora. Mm. Um, so my sister was born in Tamora, um, and she she was there. For uh, we were there for a period of time, um, and then I then, then Dad went on and, and captain coached the Foster team, and I was born in Foster. Yeah, nice. So there was probably like a six-year period of Dad going and travelling around playing football in the bush, and so that was my Foster thing. And I was I moved back to sort of beautiful Bondi at the age yeah. of one, sort of thing. So I was I, in my passport. I've got Foster, and people ask me about <laughs> it, but I. I'm pretty much a Bondi boy. So is the Rickardsons always from the eastern suburbs? Yeah, my grandfather. So we lived um, sort of on, well, grandfather lived on Ben Buckler, which is yeah. the furthest northest point of um, North Bondi. And um, so my father grew up there from, you know, the whole way through and you know, tell some great stories about Bondi Beach back in the day and <laughs> sort of shake his head at what it looks was like today. Was he a surfer in that? Uh, he wasn't a, he was a big surfer. He was more, uh, um, you know, there was a big sort of, surf life saving culture back in the day yeah. so he was involved in the surf clubs and whatever but uh, you know footy was his primary thing and um, yeah so they were there was a good bunch of guys that obviously got in and played I mean Jack Gibson was the coach back in the day and yeah. so Jack was a good bit of a mentor to dad and dad was a, a young sort of 20 year old coming through that whole grade in the late 50s and early 60s and yeah just had a, had a great time does your dad still tell many of the tales from, from all the of them reminds yeah. me all he the time he just loves it loves it yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, it was it was a different game. I mean, it was a pretty uh, it was a pretty violent game back in the day, and it was, it was a pretty tough tough environment. So, you know, Dad loves to tell stories about how he used to get a, over opponents and all that sort of stuff. But there wasn't a lot of video footage back then, so I, that was a, I was about to I, ask I do, you. I do question them. Did you? You must have like they still got grand final footage. Of... They do. Yeah, I've seen I've seen bits and pieces, but it was more there's some great photos we've all kept of, yeah. of Dad's. Um, Is he tall like you? Career. Is he tall like you? Not as tall as me. No, no, he wasn't. He was. Um, look, he was. He was just. He was five eleven. I think he's about five eleven. Obviously shrinking mm. now as he get, got older. But um, but he was. Uh, he was a centre, and I also played in the centres. You know, mm. he was a pretty athletic sort of guy. And um, yeah, so he, he he had a he had a he had a good career. Dad, Dad played a lot of footy uh, at the top level, and as I said, I think cut it a bit short to go and do this country thing and. Um, as a captain coach and spent a lot of time in the bush and, and absolutely adored that. He, he said it was one of the, the greatest things he ever, he ever did was go and, um, you know, captain coach, particularly Tamora was his big one. Uh, it's kind of giving back too, right? Yeah, with absolutely. And well, Tamora, they won a grand final and they always, you know, I've been back with, with Dad back to Tamora a few times. Mm. and The old boy days. And they just say that was just one of the, the greatest eras of their football because... Uh, you know, they won a grand final in a in a, a team that Dad helped mature and put together, and um, some great old country stories. Yeah. So, was it a natural progression for you to play footy? Was that something just because of the stories that you were getting from your dad that you naturally wanted to play footy? 
Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I was always a, um, a pretty good runner athlete when I was a kid. So, um, you know, I was a, used to play me on the you know, sevens and eights and score a lot of tries, but I was a pretty fast sort of guy. I used to run around them and score. So, um, <laughs> But it was, look, it was just a thing we all did as kids growing up. You know, it was football. And I, I went to a school called Waverley College and it was a rugby school. And um, I played first 15 in year 11 and 12. And, okay. um, what position were you playing in that one? I was one? playing centres. In that and inside, outside, inside center, inside, yeah. And then I had, um, you know, guys like Owen Finnegan and Troy Jarks, and a few guys going to play for the Wallabies. And it was, it was sort of a bit of a dream team. Rugby was my definitely my thing. I, 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 um, you know, loved it, you know, and used to sort of more my mates went down to either Rambic or East Rugby, and um, you know, we always, you know, followed the Wallabies, and it was mm. a big sort of thing for me at the time. Obviously, loved Origin and loved watching the Roosters play, but it was probably a path of rugby. But I suppose back in the early 90s, you know, rugby's changed a lot since then, but there was no yeah. real pathways for a schoolboy to come through. Um, you'd go and play in that sort of park football, whether it be East or Warringah, whatever Manly or Ramwick, whatever it might be. And then you'd try and forge a career somewhere, but super rugby just was forming through yeah. those mid-90s. And um, But I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship over to the Roosters. and, and I um, So they were watching you for a while? Yeah, well, I think Dad, obviously through Daddy, he, he knew a few of the guys pretty well through the, yeah. through the league's club. And I got an offering um, as my first contract. So it was a $2,000 <laughs> first year and $5,000 second year. How long until you spent that $2,000, mate? But it was a funny story because I got uh, um, also a scholarship into the Australian College of Phys Ed. So okay. I left Waverley and thought, what am yeah. I going to do? Once again, another mystery of what do I do with myself because um, I didn't think that I was going to go into major heights of university or I didn't want to get a law degree or anything like that it was just the further thing from my mind so of course you think become a PE teacher which looking at it now would just be an absolute disaster thing to do but um, the Australian College of Phys Ed so in that first year in my $2,000 contract and I attended two terms out at Croydon I broke into first grade and I thought, well, probably football is going to take priority here. And I deferred that whole mm. um, game. Well, is that 92, 91? Uh, so that was 92. 92. So I then kind of went, right, well, this is not for me. I'm going to be mm. a, a footballer. And then, and then I'll never forget that next year, that next off-season, I uh, got a call from Nick Politis. And Nick sort of said, oh, look... Luke, obviously you're moving into this top squad. I drove into City Ford in my little Mazda 323 with the, with the window not working that well. And I drove in and he said, look, I sat in his office there at City Ford. He said, obviously uh, you're in the first grade squad now and I've had a look at your contracts and whatnot. Um, you're on $2,000 and $5,000, but I'm telling, they're telling me that you're not going to finish this university course. And that university course is $15,000 a year. So what we've decided to do is give you that money up front okay. and I got a, um, a bag full of cash and, then, <laughs> <laughs> and I never went back to um, playing, uh, also not going back to university and I, I took the money and I spent that pretty quickly and had a bit of fun and, um, and then I kind of went through that next couple of years and then sort of signed my first real contract after that and then, and then I just continued on and kept sort of re-signing. I just had no interest in probably going anywhere for a while and mm. I just went from there. Guys, just a quick break in today's episode with Luke. Next week on the show, we're going to be having another Sydney Roosters legend and probably one of the best Super League players to ever come out here in Adrian Morley. 
So we're going to be recording that midweek. So I'll have that out for you next Monday. So please have a look out for that. It's going to be a bit of an NRL month. We've got a couple of Newcastle Knights legends in Kurt Gidley and also Clint Newton making appearances on the show. But please go through the back catalogue of our NRL stars. We've had the likes of Paul Harrigan, Andrew Eddinghausen, Bradley Clyde, Brett Kenny, Monty Beetham, a couple of current players such as Joel Thompson and Timmy Grant as well. So please go back and check out all the episodes. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and rate the show via iTunes, or you can also find it on Stitcher, Overcast, or find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. Just a big shout out to my major sponsor, Bulk Nutrients. They're a major reason why this episode has gone forward today, and I'm really appreciative of them for supporting me. You can find out the range at www bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK in terms of value for money, quality and also ease of getting it to your door highly recommend their range check out their protein matrix which is only $29 for a kilogram you can also check out your creatine monohydrate which is only $9 for 250 grams or highly recommend the green fusion which is a green superfood powder which is 250 grams for only 25 bucks So plenty of saving there. Like I said, quality and quantity. So check out the range, www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Nick Pilatus, what was your first impressions when you first met him in person? Well, it was interesting because we, in that early 90s, we were a club that was pretty battling. Like we, we had you know, a bunch of sort of, I don't know, it was a bit of a mix of plays that all came together. We had yeah. a couple of superstars every now and then. Hugh McGahn was one and um, you know, Gary Kurt Sherlock. Freeman, and, did he play? Gary Freeman came, on, came in, yeah, he came yeah. in a little bit later. So probably that was my introduction more so to Nick because when I came to the Roosters, we were a very struggling team that was always running back into the competition and, mm. you know, you had the heights of, you know, the Panthers won in 99, we had that great sort of Canberra team and... So it was all packed full of superstars and the Broncos and all those teams, and we were just battling on the, on the bottom level. Um, probably my first real experience with Nick was when he obviously decided that we needed to be a competitive side. Mm. Let's stop fluffing around with running second last, last, and getting beaten by, by large scores. And there was a bit of a clean-out you know, in that sort of mid-'90s, and mm. we obviously you know, got hold of Phil Gould, and Phil Gould was that first big purchase in... And I was a bit involved with that. I was a bit older and I'd been around the club for a period of time. And, and that came with the likes of Brad Fittler, uh, Matthew Singh, you know, we, you know, Adrian Lamb came on board. We, we, we built a squad that was going to be competitive with a very, very yeah. sought-after coach. Um, and then I saw Nick kind of come to the fore and just said, well, here we go. Like, that's, you know, he flexed his muscles and we got the right type of people involved and we then went on this path of you know, being a competitive team for a long period of time. And, yeah. And I think that was, you know, I don't really happen, I don't know what, what really happened in those early 90s, but it was sort of, for me, it was just sort of struggling to play in first grade and not getting a lot of good coaching. And, you know, there's a lot of old players there that, that treated it probably like a, 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 bit, a bit like park football. Yeah. And then we obviously matured in the mid-90s. Yeah, look, have you ever asked Nick what he actually saw? Because, you know, you just described it. It was a struggling club. 
he's a businessman making millions of dollars. He doesn't really need the roosters. Did you ever ask him why he stuck with the roosters through those bad times you know, to you get know, to You know what? Team? I look at Nick, and I'm now currently on the board. Yeah. Uh, I've been on the board there for a period of time. And when I see Nick, I just see, um, you know, he's a competitive, passionate man. And, you know, I look at this football club, and I just see that he has got a responsibility. It's almost like, you know... You know, being the chairman and being involved in this club, you know, at some stage Nick will step down or move on. You know, he can't obviously be this tenure for forever. And whilst he's in charge, um, he wants to make sure that there's success at the club. You know, there's fans, there's sponsors, there's so much more building out with this club. And I've realised that now being on this board. And it's almost like he doesn't want to let anyone down. You know, whilst he's, whilst he's in charge and, mm. and that's keeping a harmonious board, that's keeping a harmonious front office, yeah. that's making sure that the, you know, the players are well looked after and, you know, the success at the club is sort of, it's, it's got to the point now he's, he's that involved that whilst his hands are involved in this club, um, you know, he's so passionate about it, he wants to make sure that he leaves it, he leaves it in, in good shape. Yeah, must be a little bit surreal at times, the fact that all the way when you're 18, 19 years old, you're on two grand a year. And then all of a sudden you have this great crew. We play for Australia, State of Origin, you win grand finals. And now you're on the board after having some business success as well with a man that's built this from like 30 years ago. Well, it's an interesting one because I, as I said, it was more about that mid-90s when he obviously put a stake in the ground and thought, you know, this has gone on for too long. Mm. And, you know, there was an opportunity... And I, look, I, I must credit Phil Gould a lot for that as well. And Nick yeah. and Phil still have a really good relationship because there was a time where Gus basically built that football team. And I personally, for my personal um, involvement with Gus, I got coached for the first time. Yeah. Um, highly intelligent man. And probably coached Nick as well and coached other people, you know, about how football clubs are run and yeah. what, needs to, what you need to do to build success. You know, it's okay going and getting a play here and, and, and trying to sort of build it another way. But, you know, there's, there's a lot more goes in it. And Gus developed that within a football club, which I think, you know, we've almost had that blueprint from 95 to wherever our club ends up has been this incline of success based on where Phil came in and cleaned it all out and, and, and built a football club. Yeah, so was it Phil Gould's idea to switch you from the centre to make you a forward? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, look, it's, it was interesting. I mean, I, I think where I was, I mean, you look at outside backs today and the, the amount of skill, speed, mm. agility, footwork, um, I certainly didn't have all that. <laughs> you know, I was, I was more a... Um, pretty much a straight running outside back. I was quite athletic. I think for me, it was... I was pretty fortunate because the game went through a big shift from being a bash and barge style football mm. style to become a little bit more athletic, you know, the 10 metres got a little bit wider and referees, you know, they wanted more of an entertaining game, so it suited me down the ground. So I was yeah. pretty lucky in a way that it was an athletic, fast, expansive sort of game. Mm. So I kind of was then brought into the back row because, you know, that sort of style of game was needed 
within the back row more so than the athletic sort of uh, wingers. So I was pretty lucky to find a spot there, and I actually yeah. liked the contact, and I was pretty um, I was pretty fit, so I could sort of rack up some tackles and. Um, you know, I was pretty competitive in that space there, and, I, and it suited me down the ground. You're one of the best defensive players from the NRL, but when you think your work rate was outstanding, you know, you're making somewhere between 35 and 45 tackles a game. For me, that's pretty noble, and so probably something that, especially at state of origin level, I think we're lacking in terms of players that are noble enough to say, I want to be a role player in this team and do my role really well. Instead of having 17 Brad Fittlers in the team, you do need some other players that are willing to be really good at defence. What made you take that route towards being such a team player? Yeah, I don't know. I think, um, yeah, I think there was a period where I, I prided myself on being like exceptionally fit. You know, I sort of, I really, weirdly enough, I really enjoyed off seasons, and mm. I enjoyed, um, you know, the hard work and the training. I, I never really. You know, for example, we you know we we'd go to the Cronulla Sandhills on a Saturday morning. And <laughs> They're brutal. Guys would be out the front, just absolutely petrified and nervous, and and I'd I'd seriously get there, sort of giggling and laughing, and just looking forward to the next few hours because it was something that I found I could do quite well. And yeah. so when it came to running out on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, where it might be. Um, I just knew that I had 80 minutes of football in me and, um, you know, if I needed to, you know, push a bloke out of the way and do his bit of his work, I, I wouldn't mind that. You know, if there was, you know, they always used to put me next to a, a, a halfback or a 5'8 and... Protect them. You know, there was jobs to just yeah. look after those guys and make sure they didn't um, get caught out or, you know, come and support whether inside or outside guys that might have been struggling in defence. So I just, I just relished in that. I just thought that was a role that I played and... Mm. Uh, more than happy to help out where needed. Did you have to do much practice, like on a weekly basis? Because your tackle technique was was pretty good. It was spot on. Yeah, look, I think it was an interesting one when um, it was sort of advanced a bit. And probably for me, I I was a bit of a late bloomer. I think I just kept learning every year and um, improving. It was kind of strange. I mean, I didn't play for Australia until I was thirty. Because yeah. you know, obviously, there's a lot of great back rows in front of me, but I just think there was some better years as, as I got on and. There was um, there was a time when Ricky Stewart came to the club, and you know Ricky in two thousand and two got there and went, well, guys, the reputation I have of the Roosters is a prima donna cafe latte style of guys, and he wow. said, my job coming into this club, I just want to change that whole mentality, and we want to, um, I want you to be hard nosed, uh, ruthless in defence, aggressive, yep. all those sort of things. He said, that's my mantra about that's what I'm going to change. I hate the fact that we're known as this style of <laughs> yeah. people. That's not my thing. That's typically Ricky. And we went in an off-season that year, and he was brutal. And we would come out of training sessions having to build each other. And, you know, he'd put, he put boxing gloves on us. We'd go to the Willemley Police Boys and make, it, <laughs> make us fight. Like, it wasn't just sparring. It just so say, you got three rounds, and if whoever wins this th- three rounds basically can not do this next bit of the session sort of thing. So it was almost like two front rowers going for it. There were black eyes and cuts and all sorts of things. Oh, so he, he turned that on us during that off-season, which made us pretty brutal on, on the footy field. And, yeah. you know, and, and you, you, you might be talking to Adrian Morley at some stage, and Moz was a perfect example of that where he was a style of guy that 
you know, he would be such a passive, lovely bloke off the field, but as soon as he crossed that stripe, there was something in him that would want to kill people. Just and the switch would flick. The switch would flick, and we had, you know, you know Fitzy and so we had a bunch of blokes that would love that. You know, we'd get out there and um, run off the back of Moles, and, and it was becoming a brutal style of, you know, up and in defence, and we, we loved the collision, and, and we'd build it off the back of that. And there was a lot of practice with that, and Ricky would definitely get us at training on a Tuesday, and we'd, we'd do... Um, we do 12 back-to-back tackles, you know. It was sort of like double of everything, you know. We just double everything up, and yeah. um, and and I think that was something um, that sort of kept us in good stead. Yeah. Particularly in that early 2000, we went on and had some success after that. It's funny that you just mentioned that things are built off defence because I heard you make Mark Coyne on a couple of weeks ago, yeah. and he was telling me about '95 when Queensland beat New South Wales. The number one thing they focused on was goal line defence, and it mm. just continually got drilled into them. They would do hours of practice, and that was why they scrambled so well. In the same way, you guys doing set after set of defensive drills and really just building that, you know, that, that bottom part of just ingredient of just brutal defence. Yeah, it, look, it was, and I think, you know, it was great of Ricky to do that. I mean, we had a, um, we used to do, you know, three or four sets in our line, and, you know, he would come at you and come at you and come at you, and then... You know, there'd be literally one bloke would break on the edge and come yeah. out and do something, trying to run out of line, or literally was had his hands on his knees. Wouldn't we weren't allowed to have hands on our knees or anything like that. And then he would stop the session and send us around and do an 800 meter run. Oh, God. <laughs> so there's moments of like looking at blokes going, you, you know, if you do that again, we're going to kill you, kind of thing. It was almost we started to just pick on each other because we didn't want to do those 800 meter runs, mm. and we got to the point where. Literally, we'd have these sessions where it was just perfect and we'd, we'd train hard, yep. rip in, um, and, you know, that exactly, it, it would happen on the field. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd hang on and uh, we'd win games through defence and, you know, some scramble and blokes would do some pretty amazing things and you'd go, mm-hmm. well, there you go, that's our, that's our mantra for the year and, you know, obviously 2002 was successful and we sort of built something for the back end of that. Yeah, before Ricky actually got there, you guys made a grand final against Brisbane. Yeah. Unfortunately, you guys go down. You had a few players missing. I spoke to Richie Barnett. Unfortunately, he got he missed a grand yeah. final. How tough was that to actually try to get over? Did you, at the time, think you were ever going to get a crack at another grand final? No way. I think once... You know, and, that, and, and it was weird for me because I'd been... You know, grew up in Bondi and I'd sort of followed the Roosters. I used to go to the old cricket ground and... You know, I never saw sort of success. Um, I was born in 1973, so 75 was obviously the big era for the Roosters. And, and the, the funny thing for me, I'd go to every function yeah. and we'd sit there as an 18-year-old and we'd watch the 1975 team over and over and over and over again. And it became a little bit boring to the fact that we'd have all these blokes up in lights, but, you know, we were no closer to ever getting to a grand final. Mm. And then in 2000, all of a sudden, we beat Newcastle out here at Allianz Stadium, and there we are, had a grand final. And um, it was just the most exciting thing to go and see our fans, who hadn't seen anything like that for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was, and it's right what they say about you got to get, you got to be in a grand final grand to win final. one. Yeah. It was, it was just too exciting to be in it. I think for all of us, it was particularly the club, you know, the club hadn't seen this for a long mm-hmm. period of time and yeah. we are a chance of rewriting a bit of history because, you know, the Ron Coots and the Arthur Deetsons have been sort of floating around our, you know, <laughs> our club for so long and all of a sudden we popped up and we're, we're, we, 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 could have, we could have won a grand final but 
looking back on it, you know, Brisbane did some pretty crazy things. It was the un, un, unlimited interchange, and I think it was a reported uh, they made something like 67 changes, and we made sort of 27. Okay. Um, they had Shane Webke and Brad Thorne just sitting on the sideline, and you know they'd they'd all do a set and come off and just flip them off, flip them on and off and off. And I think Wayne Bennett, the Broncos, understood that unlimited interchange better than anyone with big forwards, and mm. they just wore us out at the back end. What was it like someone like Gordon Tallis? You know, you just described two of the Broncos, and then we've got another. We've got Petro. We've got yeah. there's all these guys set after set running at you. How much, after the first couple of sets, are you totally just juiced and just gone? Like... Yeah, look, I think um, adrenaline plays a big part, uh, particularly in those big games. If I can think back to that grand final, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a day grand final, um, mm. and I tore my hamstring the week before, and I wasn't going to play. I had this sort of horrible thing gets the Knights, and it was a really bad grade three hamstring. Mm. Um, and I... I got there at the end. I was probably undone, but I, it was nothing going to stop me from playing that game. I just needed to play that game. Um, I actually got through okay, but I remember um, coming at it after half time, and we were a bit shell shocked because just it was just you're right. It was just set up to set up to set up with all these big blokes, and um, I remember looking at Fitzy when he had hair, um, <laughs> and you know he came out of the line a couple of times, and we sort of rushed him and. We could definitely see there was a shift in the Bronx, and I thought, well, these blokes might not go away. Um, and experience would have taught us that we probably could have capitalised on a little bit better. Um, and and there was a period of ten or so minutes that were sort of a chance of sort of dinting a little bit more. And I know that we scored a little bit late, and um, the score wasn't too bad. We we, we could have performed a little better against the very start of Broncos that were starting to panic a little bit throughout that game. I can tell mm. that we, 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 at some stage, we may have done a bit better. Guys, just another quick break in today's episode. Last week, we had on the show one of Australia's great athletes in Elise Perry. She's a dual international in both football and cricket, and she did it by the age of 16. Obviously, last year, she had a huge year where she hit a 200 and over 200 not out in the Ashes against England. She's one of our real superstar athletes, and here is a quick little snippet from, from our episode with Elise. Some of the, the big things that I've learned um, is probably early on from a guy called Tommy Samani, who was the Matildas coach for a number of years mm. and incredibly successful. And um, he's actually um, originally from Scotland um, and um, has a, a wonderful thick accent, which always used to make me laugh. I was going to ask you that. think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he said something, I remember, I was probably quite young as well, I was only about 17 or 18, um, but he sat down in the group and he addressed all of them and was talking about various things and then something that's um, you know stuck in my mind and I've never forgotten it is that he basically said, look, I promise to always treat you fairly, um, but I'm never going to treat you all equally because you're all different. Um, yeah. And I think in a lot of ways that's kind of the essence of what I try to do with some leadership stuff is you know, have some level of um, empathy and understanding for everyone and and making sure that I get to know everyone well enough that you can treat them fairly. But, you know, you just, no one has the same set of circumstances as as anyone else. So, you you know, you can't always treat people equally. And I think if you're you're honest about that and make sure that everyone knows where you stand with things, um, you can get a lot of respect and buy-in. So 
Um, mm. Yeah, I think he certainly taught me that, and he's he's easily the best people manager I've ever come across. So, guys, go back and check out that episode. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes. If you haven't yet, please leave me a review. It really helps me grow in the rankings. You can also check out the show via Stitcher, Overcast, or it is all online, www.talkingwithtk.com. Please help me spread the word. Tell your family and friends that really enjoy listening to some fantastic athletes. And let me know if you've got any guest requests. Send them through at www. Dot talkingwithtk.com. Just another big shout out to my major sponsor, Bulk Nutrients. Check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. Highly recommend their range of proteins. Check out the protein matrix, $29 one kilogram. Their whey protein concentrate, it's $27 for one kilogram. Or also the regular whey protein isolate, which is $36 from one kilogram. You'll find flavors such as chocolate, Vanilla, salted caramel, choc honeycomb, rocky road, coffee, cookies and cream, yum, choc mint, banana, strawberry, the list goes on. So check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. So then obviously 2001, you don't make the grand final, but 2002, you do, you play the Warriors. And it's kind of like deja vu, just the opposite way around. All of a sudden, you guys have been in a grand final had all of this experience. Then you've got the Young Gun Warriors, which kind of resembled how the Roosters were probably a couple of years ago. You must have been a lot more confident going into a grand final against the Warriors. Look, without a doubt, I think, um, yeah, I remember the build-up to that same thing, and I actually did another hamstring in that, so I was going in with injured <laughs> the hamstrings grand final. The keep going. Oh, well, weirdly enough, I was doing hamstring grand final. So then I had... Um, Look, we got there in good shape. We were, we, were, we were winning well and we had this real kind of aggressive style of football. We were rushing and putting pressure on teams and teams didn't like the way we were, we were approaching it. And Freddie had just sort of kicked into another gear and, um, you know, we, we were playing really good footy. We were very confident. But it's funny throughout that grand final, I mean, Stacey Jones scored an amazing try and we were losing at half time. Yeah. I'll never forget getting in. I think it was 8-2 maybe. I think the score was right. And... And there was a little look in our faces and we went, you know, we, we can't lose this. Like, we're sort of at a point here, we, we're behind on the scoreboard, their tails were up, they were playing pretty good footy. Um, and John Cartwright, never forget John Cartwright, he must have sensed it. We're all sitting there and Ricky was running around the room trying to sort of rattle the troops and, 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 and Johnny Cartwright put uh, Ricky aside and said, the forwards just come in this room next door. Yeah. So we all wanted in this room and... and Johnny Cartwright just yelled at us and said, what are you doing? Like, you know, like you guys snap out of it now. You know, I can see the whites in your eyes. Stop, you know, just snap out of it. Refocus, you know, if you put in for this next 20 or 30 minutes, mm. we can get this game back, you know, in our favour and it's up to you blokes, you know, blah, blah, blah. I remember sort of looking around and we thought, you know, he was right. We were a bit, we were a bit stunned. And then, you know, the second half sort of came about and, um, you know, there was one incident, the Villa Sandy Villa incident. Sandy, wasn't he, it? he came in and ju- jumped on a Freddie, and that woke us. That seriously woke us up. And so that, that was, was a dead set turning point. One hundred percent, it was a turning point. And when, as soon as that happened, you know, we wanted redemption. You know, like you know, this bloke was trying to take out our key player, and it was a foul play. There's no doubt, and we just got that sort of we want to, you know, there's redemption. Let's get out there and get hold of him and get hold of other players. Yeah, and it just clicked into motion. There was a ten minute period where we. 
where we just uh, we got back to where we were in those semi-finals, and then, as Johnny Cartwright said, it was right. We just ran away from it in the end. It's interesting if it was today's day and age. Freddie probably would have had to go to HIA. He might not have came back on. Very true. Well, that's it was interesting. I mean, he was stunned. I mean, I've, I've seen the incident quite a few times, and look. Um, now look, Villa Sani, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty fair play from him. I mean, yeah. for him to, he saw Freddie's exposure there, and he went, in, he went in, and you know, Freddie was out and taken off that ground. I mean, we, we may not have won that game. You know, it was, it was something that was a huge turning point. Mm. And thankfully, Freddie was tough enough to sort of get on with it and get up and, and, and go again. Look, he would have been stunned. I don't know if he was completely knocked out, but yeah. he would have definitely been stunned. And you know, the referees would have had a good look at it for sure in today's game. Do people underestimate how tough Freddie Fittler was? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, you know, people ask me, and I think Freddie's certainly the best player I've ever played with. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, Freddie, um, look, he's not only uh, uh, a great attacking play, but, you know, Freddie's kicking game when it was on was outstanding. Mm. Um, he loved ripping into defence. I mean, Freddie had a pretty aggressive attacking tackling style um, and he's a competitive bastard like he would um, you know he hated losing and you know I, I've only seen this a few times on the footy field and I remember playing with Freddie um, it might have been during those 2000 if not 2003 and playing the Bulldogs out at the stadium one day and the scores were locked and you know there was 10 minutes to go and Freddie basically mm. said to the team look just get me to the post you forwards get the ball to the post and then give me the ball. Now, it was as simple as that. And we got into the post, got in the ball, put the big left foot step on, dragged three blokes over the line, scored the try, kicked the goal, game over. Yeah. And I seen him do that a few yeah. <laughs> seen him do that a few times. It was like I don't know many players that could have the ability to, to just take control of the game and just say I know I'm the only bloke here that can probably do this, so just give me the ball. Yeah. What was his leadership style? Was he very loud on the field when he wanted to have a go at you guys? Would he have a crack? Well, that's the amazing thing about Freddie, and I think, um, you know, Freddie, we, you know, he came from the Panthers, and, you know, I think, and Freddie will tell you this, and we're talking out of school, but it was a pretty loose old little lifestyle in the old Panthers during that 90s. Mm, and, for sure. You know, they, they, they had some wild times back in those days, and Freddie came to us in 95, and we were still in those wild times, you know. We, 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 we certainly had a good time, and Freddie was this wild cat from the Panthers. And, <laughs> um, you know, he did some, did some crazy things and well documented. I mean, he fell, out, fell asleep outside of a police uh, office one day, and he had a, a few little moments, yeah. old Fred, back in the day. But literally, he had a defining moment, I think, in about 2000, if not 2001. Mm. And he almost matured overnight to the point where he just said, I, I, know, what it's, I, don't, I know what it's like to be a leader. I want to be a leader. Um, I lead by example. I also lead by my actions. I lead by um, you know, what I say. And he became a complete and utter professional. Crazy <laughs> to think of from where he was. And, you know, Freddie would rock up to training. He changed our whole mantra. And it was all mantra was around discipline. Freddie yeah. became a disciplinarian <laughs> overnight. Strangely enough, um, and and his his leadership is brilliant. It's fantastic. But when a player of his stature actually does it, it's one of those things. There's a domino effect, right? The rest of the team just follow. 
Well, absolutely. And it was, it was amazing for Freddie because he had the ability to bark orders, particularly at training, and he was very particular about um, you know, getting back on side and putting mm. your foot on touching lines or whatever the, whatever the exercise about to do, I had to do it 100% and do it correctly. And uh, it was all about punctuality and about whatever it may be. Freddie was mad for it. But then on the flip side of that, I mean, Freddie had an, another senior group and I was part of that, yep. along with um, Brian Fletcher and a few other guys. And <laughs> so we could, we, we could still keep the fun and the, and the sensibility and all that sort of stuff within the team, the team harmonious team, you know, because we had this 18 year old kids and we had the, and Freddie could go about doing his own stuff, but also he could just leave us look after the, um, I suppose the other part of the, yeah. the, the footy team, the culture of the footy team. Just with Fletch, what we see now on the Matty John show, was that what he brought to your team back then? Without a doubt. Yeah, Fletch is certainly one of the funniest blokes. And I mean, it's not just people that have played with him for that period mm. of time, but it's people that meet him, you know, throughout, you know, all sort of football circles. And I'm actually pumped the fact that he's now made a career out of making people laugh because yeah. that's what he did for our footy team for that period of time. Um, I, look, we Fletch, Fletch day to day. It was just him. He just used to make you laugh and... Um, just a complete, perfect person to be in a football team. Because um, you need that balance, right? You need oh, that funny guy, right? Oh, you do, you do, and you know, and um, you know, culturally, like he just, he just was just hilarious, and um, never isolated anyone. He's just such a great bloke, you know. And he had everyone, everyone listening to him, making him laugh, and you know, travelling with him, you just be, you want to be around him. Just a fun bloke yeah. to be with, and. Um, you know, and obviously his footy credibility was fantastic. He was a great, tough, hard footballer and, and he'd make you laugh in the back end of it. Yeah, but the balance of the back row, tackle machine, defensive maestro yourself, Brian could, Fletch could ball play yep. and do the tough stuff as well. And then you had Fitz on the other side yeah. and he's running on the edge was second to none. Absolutely. It was a great back row that you guys combined together. Yeah, we did. It was, um, and once again, it was... Um, it sort of evolved over that period of time and I think if you look at the game the game's always gone through little patches of um, you know you've got to have the best fullback in the game you know you've got to have a great halfback or front rowers are playing a big part whatever at the time so I think during that sort of era it was you know I think the back row was really really important I think Manly um, if you look back at Nicosia Gartner Menzies yeah that yeah. was that was almost like a, a blueprint of what a team needed to have um, and you kind of go through teams and you think, oh, you know, God, they've got a really good back row. Yeah. And, you know, they're going to be quite, quite potent. So we were lucky enough in the 2000s to get the mix right, and um, I think the success coming back. Yeah, probably a disappointing one was 2004. Close game against the Doggies. It, that was Brad Fittler's last game too, wasn't it? I got suspended for that. I never played. Which oh, you didn't a, actually play in the grand final? No, I had a shock at Oh, no one they lost, mate. Yeah. No, it was a tough one for me in a lot of ways. So literally, it was interesting. So after th- 2002, 2003 was probably my, my, my best and my, my, well, I think almost the Roosters' greatest year in 2003. We got beaten by the Panthers in the grand final. But we went out of 2002, and then 2003, 2002-3 off-season, Ricky just went hard at us again and said, we're not going to rest on the fact that we won our first grand final. 
um, on the back of his leadership. And then we came out in 2003 and just went to another level. Um, I felt as though our football was just great, you know, and, and a lot of us went on and played Origin and we had a lot of success through that and test yeah. matches. It was a real big year for us. And we, um, we, we literally got to the grand final and our timing was out by a week because mm. we basically it got takes. there and just were exhausted. And we literally played on a wet, damp night against the Panthers and they had more running than us. Yeah. And it was actually shameful to say that um, we were just too tired and we prided ourselves on being fit um, and going for the full 80 minutes and we just couldn't go with them on that night. Mm. Which, and I'll never watch that game again. <laughs> Toddy Byrne getting tackled on the sideline. Um, do you think that, you know, I'm not sure if you believe in fate at all, but do you think you might have ran into two teams that were just fated to win? Like the Panthers hadn't won for so long. And then there was all this emotion around the Bulldogs as well with their grand final. Steve Price pulls out. It was like you guys were up against it before you even got there. You know what? It's a funny thing you say that. And, and I remember speaking to Ivan Cleary um, a few years ago and we were talking about that and he definitely said, like, you know, it's funny in rugby league. Rugby league, there's a lot of fate that happens within mm. these grand finals. And Jonathan Thurston comes to mind and, look, I do believe in that. Like, I do think that the game... Um, a lot of teams get sorted out in our finals. There's some great stories that come out of the final series. There's always an underdog somewhere. Yeah. Come grand final day, it's a flip of a coin in a lot of ways. Um, although Melbourne proved me wrong last year. <laughs> but, yeah, there is. There's always a story that comes out of it. And there's, a, there's a bit of fate. And I think, look, look back in 2002, the Warriors were, were, were a fraction of pulling our pants down on that day and having um, a very sort of fate moment um, but we thank God we rescued that but yeah and I think 2003 was certainly for the Panthers I mean it was a dream one for them and mm. we were such a great team that year um, I think we were the best team that year and we got beaten by a team that just had a better run and they, yeah. they, were, they were meant to win on the day um, and then the Dogs was another one in 2004 I mean I sat on the sideline for that which was horrible and, um, and we never got beaten at half time and our scoreline we were up at half time and full of running uh, and we and, and our last two years we never and never got beaten by that score um, with the lead that we had and once again they, came and ran, they ran us down at the back end so, <laughs> uh, which is unfortunate for Freddie I know that it was a really tough one for him and I know that um, you know he got back to those last couple of weeks and you know he was very emotional about how we were going to play that game and how he, how he was going to play that game mm. and um, and he was on track to just get it so right and you know um, to see it fall away in that last of the 10 minutes was horrible yeah just a personal opinion about going to England for the World Club Challenge yep. you know you said in 2002 you guys peaked one week yep. too early sorry 2003 three yeah do you think that because I saw Cronulla do it kind of last year where they came back really tired the Cowboys the year before that yeah I guess going to England, two 24-hour flights, when you look back at it, that, yeah. that might be a, a major aspect to maybe you guys being flat towards the end of this year. Yeah, look, I don't know. I think, um, look, there's a lot of factors, but I think certainly travel doesn't help you. Um, you know, we had a great time in 2003 going over against St. Helens and we, we won by a big score, but we... Mm. we 
factored into that just to sort of, we actually trained really hard into that and Ricky just did not give us a second of rest, which prepared us really well for that game. We won by 40 points or something like that and then we just were ratted again, you know. I think Ricky's mentality from 2002, from the day you walked through the door mm. to the day you departed, um, and that may have something to do with my retirement, you know. I think there was a real period that we trained hard and we, we, we did stuff at training that other teams weren't, um, and we were tired at the back end of it. And I think that's no disrespect to the style we, we, we did it. I think it was absolutely perfect for what we needed. But I think at the end of it, particularly me, I think I was like, I, I probably had enough of yeah. <laughs> enough of that, at, you know, at 32 years of age. Yeah, where's the conversation happened? Once Freddie finished, did you think you were going to be the natural next captain or was that something that was sprung on you without you actually knowing? No, it was interesting. I mean, I, I felt as though that I was a bit of a natural leader throughout those 2000s mm-hmm. anyway, and I was sort of like Freddie's deputante. So when Freddie had duties, I'd step in and do his stuff. So I was kind of like his vice-captain underneath yeah. Freddie for a period of time. And funny old Freddie would sometimes ring me and say, mate, can you do this press conference? Or, <laughs> mate, can you go and step in and do this photo for me? Whatever, whatever he might do. But he, um, look, I put my hand up as soon as Freddie retired and sort of asked for the job. And, um, you know, I got it. Um, look, was I a good leader? I, look, I would have done things probably a little bit differently. Um, yeah. I still had a style of, I wanted to be one of the boys. Um, yeah, okay. You know, I had mentality that had the likes of the Brett Finches and all these, you know, Chris Walkers and all these guys. We had a larrikin bunch of guys, and I still enjoyed their company so much, but I never really defined between uh, getting away from them and being hard on them on certain yeah, areas. Okay. Um, but it was a, you were nearly going into the deep end a little bit. You just lost one of the greatest correct. players of all time. Yeah. Is that something you kind of thought was a great challenge at that point? Well, it was, it was interesting. If you look at the strategic play now, I mean, if, you've, if you're going to lose a really good player in two years' time, mm. you know, I think clubs are a bit more smarter about that replacement and sort of putting yeah. something in place for it. Um, back then, we sort of didn't. We just expected when he left that we'll just all get on with it and try and do something differently. But, um, but that's the same thing. So leadership, we lost a great player, we lost our playmaker, we lost a lot of things within Freddie. Freddie was a huge gap to fill. And, um, yeah, look, I'm, I was probably a little bit disappointed in my leadership, really, because I, I, I still wanted to lead the way I led under Freddie's tenure. Yeah, okay. and, um, it probably needed a bit more of a tougher response from me. Um, but I had one year at it. it wasn't, we didn't go that well that year. It was a big sort of gap. Um, and it's, there was probably some decisions in the back end that I made with, with, with obviously Ricky and I retired and, and obviously um, stepped down from, from everything. Did you think when you, when you finished, you know, what was it, 301 first grade yeah. games? Did you think you had enough in the tank in that? Because how far, many would have been way far behind you. At that stage, he would have been what, half yeah, the games. Yeah, look, 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 it was funny. If I look back on it now, and you obviously have no regrets when you leave your sport or whatever you do, but. Look, if I was in a different position where, um, you know, I could have potentially gone and had a couple of years overseas and played, not to say that that was going to be a success or not, but um, I think from the experience point of view and do something different, you know, and sort of get out of the, the bubble that I was always in. I was in, I grew up, played, didn't move from my area. Um, but to go and th- throw myself over uh, northern England and, and go and play for a team over there would have been something that... Um, you know, it could have been a challenge for me. I'm, I'm, 
I'm thinking would have been a, a good experience. So, um, but never, never, never did it. And certainly, my body was in good nick, touch wood. So I never had any issues. I didn't have any knee problems or ankles or anything like that. So I was, I was, I was pretty good. All right, Rico. Last thing to wrap things up. I was on your Insta the other day. Yes. 2003 Kangaroo Tour. Yes. You score that at Huddersfield. Yes. It was pretty much the play that won the game. Started on the halfway with Lockie. Yeah. Kamali comes through, and then charging through is Luke Rickardson. Yes. One of the greatest tries of all time. Describe it in your <laughs> words. Look, what a tour. So 2003 Kangaroo Tour was just out of the box. I mean, we had a lot of players that weren't available, and... Um, and the great Darren Lockyer put his hand up and captain and took us away. Because and... the team was weird. I had a look at the lineup. Phil Bailey was yeah, in the centres. Was... Craig Wing was in the centres. Minnie was on the wing. It was just all over the it place. It was all over the place. Uh, Chris Anderson, who I hadn't had a lot to do with, was just an old school, almost just a great bloke style sort of coach. Yeah. We went away with the mentality of we'll train hard, we'll drink hard, and we'll play hard. <laughs> and let's have some rest in between and let's enjoy this tour. So it was a bit wild and woolly. We went over and we spent some time in France and Barcelona and all this sort of stuff. Willie Mason was quoted by saying, um, look, I think we're on a Kentucky tour, <laughs> which made its way back into the Australian press and we got in trouble for that. Um, and then we sort of got the, the press back. The, uh, the Great Britain team had come out publicly and said, this is their opportunity to win the Test yeah. Series against Australia in a long time. And we all looked at each other and said, look, we, uh, you know, we can't let this jumper down. It was, a, it, was, it was a frightening experience because we didn't have the lineup that we should have probably had. Yeah. Um, and um, Adrian Morley in the first Test um, knocked out my, my roommate, Robbie Kearns, in a, in a horrible stiff arm moment that sort of changed that Test match. And yeah. then obviously we went in and... Um, and in the second test, uh, we were able to sort of win in the, on the final bell. But, um, yeah, look, Lockie was just a freak. I mean, it was just great playing with a guy like him. And if you go back to that play itself, and when we, we, were, we struggled all game, it was a bit of a hard sort of tussle. And um, it went back to Lockie to kick a field goal, and he kind of tapped it on and slipped around. And he got tackled, and then Kamali picked it up, advanced down the ground, and then Lockie, who had made the effort before on the half line, half way line, mm. was able to get off of his butt, run back, actually receive the next pass. Um, it's amazing how Kamali's standing. They've got him, and yeah, he's just he looked around, and they all just sort of panicked, and um, and then had the ability to find Lockie once again, and Lockie found me on the edge, and we we score, and we win the Test match, and win the series, and. Um, and we had a bloody good time that night. Yeah. Was it always a dream for you? Because I remember when me and my brother used to always wake up early and watch all the kangaroo tour games and all that sort of stuff. Was that a dream of yours to always do the kangaroo Unbelievable. tour? Unbelievable. Absolutely. Like, I think, um, you know, looking back on the career, I mean, my only dream was to play first grade. Mm. Um, and then to get that opportunity in Origin, um, a game that you sat and watched, you know, in your lounge room with, parents and you know get that nervous about was an absolute dream come to true um and then get a selection on a kangaroo tour uh just was just the icing on the cake for me and um and as i said i mean i had those opportunities i scored scored a couple of tries we won the one at three nil uh we had a, one of the greatest times of my life uh, met some lifelong friends and like the likes of danny badirius and darren lockyer and willie mason these guys were just big characters of the game yeah 
And um, yep, just a complete highlight. That that whole middle 2000 for me was just uh, was a dream come true. And um, and as I said, probably at 32, I was probably happy to hang the hat up because I'd achieved everything. Achieved pretty much everything. Yeah. Well, Luke, I really appreciate you joining me today. Sure, All the great stories. Before I let you leave, I know you're on Instagram, so everyone give Luke a follow at Luke Rickardson. Nice and easy. Perfect, Luke, my man. Thanks for All the best, buddy. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Mate. Guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode with the legend, Luke Rickardson. Please follow him on Instagram. You'll find him at Luke Rickardson. Or you can find me at Tristan Nell. Or you can find me on Twitter or Facebook at Talking With TK. If you enjoyed the episode, let us know. Maybe send me an email or a tweet. My email is Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Big shout out to our sponsor, Bulk Nutrients. Find their range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. It's going to be a big month of rugby league on Talking With TK. Next week, Adrian Morley. So if you're a big Roosters fan or a rugby league fan in general, check out the Moz on Monday. Also going to be seeing Kurt Gibley and Clint Newton in the forward weeks. But we got just in the middle of recording a whole heap of episodes with some NRL and also some rugby stars. So be on the lookout over the next couple of months. Got some bumper episodes coming up. A little bit different with some sports such as Paul Briggs and also Josh Childress. So please be on the lookout for these episodes. If you haven't yet, please subscribe via iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher. Or you'll find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. I would love it if you leave me a review on iTunes really helps me grow in the rankings and get seen by more and more people. So that would be highly appreciative. All right, guys, I appreciate you joining me for today's episode of Talking With TK. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking With TK.